0: So welcome, everyone, to the next episode of the Coffee Breakdown Prodcast. Um, Today, we have as our guest, Baldo Luda, who is a postdoc at IPP Garching in Germany. And he's working on integrated modeling, trying to combine predictions of core, pedestal, and scrape off layer to get like a full tokamak description inside the models. Uh, he focuses primarily on the pedestal, so Welcome, Teovaldo, to the podcast.
1: Hello, everyone. Yeah, thanks a lot, Aaron, for inviting me here.
0: Yeah, so I guess to start, I'm just going to have you maybe briefly explain what we mean by the plasma pedestal, uh, why it's important to include in the modeling and important to predict uh, for the tokamak performance. Yeah,
1: sure. So, uh, yeah, mainly the pedestal is important because uh, it's really improving the confinement of the plasma, uh, in fact, uh, it's called the pedestal, because when you look uh, at the, for example, temperature or density profiles uh, in the plasma, they uh, the core profiles really look like they are sitting on a pedestal, which uh, is elevating uh, um, a bit the temperature and the density in the edge. And uh, so, yeah, it's really uh, giving a big boost uh, in uh, the thermal energy and uh, overall in confinement uh, by really increasing uh, uh, a lot uh, the temperature and the density at the edge of the plasma. And uh, yeah, this uh, um, is uh, due to uh, a transport barrier in the edge. So uh, we have this uh, edge uh, transport barrier, uh, which is caused by a reduction of uh, turbulent uh, transport. yeah, which uh, makes these uh, steep gradients uh, uh, in this uh, edge region. Yeah, because uh, in the end, like um, in uh, fusion plasmas, uh, uh, we have really very strong uh, temperature and uh, density gradients over the whole uh, uh, over the whole plasma, and uh, so um, we have a turbulence, uh, a turbulent transport all over, and um, yeah, so the fact that in this edge region we have uh, this uh, reduction of the transport is really beneficial, and uh, really boost a lot uh, the, the the confinement properties. And so, yeah, for uh, basically, this means that if you want to build a fusion reactor, um, you can really reduce the size you need by just going into this regime of. Uh, um, this H mode regime this high confinement mode regime where you have the pedestal
0: which uh, boosts the air confinement okay yeah very interesting so it's sort of a way to yeah just improve the performance of the reactor uh, you know like twofold or something like that um with a quick change in the physics but yeah exactly. f- yeah so but like my understanding as so far is that the underlying mechanism well we we have some grand idea of how this turbulence suppression happens um but like the underlying mechanisms of how it forms not just the generation of the h-mode pedestal but then how it sustains itself is is still kind of you know under development it's an open question so i guess yeah, that exactly brings an, an interesting thing so how do you get to modeling it when we don't really have a a a solid theory behind it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is, I
1: think, one of the big uh, uh, challenges that uh, we are facing now because, uh, of course, uh, you want to do predictions for a reactor. So if you want to do a prediction, first of all, for ITER, but especially if you want to do a prediction to design a demo, so uh, a fusion reactor that should be producing uh, um, electricity from a fusion, you need uh, some models that tell you uh, how large the device has to be, how strong the magnetic field and the plasma current have to be in order to get the confinement you want to uh, produce enough energy from fusion. Uh, um, assuming uh, a certain amount of uh, energy that you put in as input, so you want to achieve a certain um, energy gain right and. Uh, for core uh, physics, for the core transport, uh, it's uh, really well understood now. So we really have uh, plenty of models with uh, different fidelity, uh, which give you a pretty good estimate of uh, how your uh, temperature and density, and therefore like the confinement in the core should should be. But um, yeah, for the pedestal, uh, it's uh, really a complicated, uh, uh, a difficult question because uh, you really need to describe uh, um, all the phenomena that characterize the pedestal, um, which is uh, really pushing the boundary of uh, the theory, of the theory-based model that we have. And uh, so what we do is uh, to come up with some empirical model, uh, for example, for describing the, the transport in the pedestal, And then uh, um, we also have uh, some other elements because uh, the pedestal is basically described by two elements. One is the transport and the second is the MHD stability. And this is because uh, uh, in the pedestal, you first uh, reduce uh, turbulent transport. You start to develop these uh, very strong uh, gradients and at some point these gradients become large enough that they destabilize some magneto hydrodynamic instabilities and then for then you get some edge localized modes so elms which limit the evolution of the pedestal and is what ultimately sets your uh, uh, your pedestal pressure temperature and density and so you need a combination of these two ingredients and uh, at the moment, uh, we don't have a theory-based uh, uh, description or codes that can give you uh, an estimate of transport in the pedestal. So what we do is to u- is we use uh, some uh, reduced or empirical models, and uh, and we combine it with uh, a MHD stability code. And uh, so far, uh, the, mas- the main um, use code is uh, EPED, uh, which uh, has a very simple assumption for the pedestal transport, and. Uh, but works uh, pretty well uh, uh, already. And then when you combine it with the MHD stability code, uh, you can uh, predict the, the pedestal pressure. And, uh, and, and then uh, what I've been doing uh, during my, uh, my PhD is uh, to develop uh, a more accurate uh, pedestal transport model, uh, which could reproduce uh, uh, with uh, a higher accuracy the pedestal in uh, ASX upgrade, for very many different uh, parameters and so also the idea was to combine uh, these uh, um, description of the transport in the pedestal also with the uh, description of the transport in the core and then uh, also combine it with a mhd stability code which uh, would tell you uh, the point uh, at which uh, you you get the elm and uh, so yeah basically now the The most common way to describe, uh, to predict the pedestal is to use an empirical model for the pedestal transport with a theory-based code for the MHD
0: stability. Okay, I mean, that's that's an interesting development, but it kind of hints to me that there was something missing in this EPED model, or at least the pure theory-based code. Do you have any ideas what it is or was it just failing to reproduce the pedestals inside aztec's upgrade or is it uh, like is it a fundamental physics problem or was it um yeah just noise in the measurements or something like this mm-hmm.
1: yeah so for example uh, this eped model was developed at general atomics so uh, after some analysis on the d3d tokamak and basically, uh, it's derived from uh, some experimental observation. So basically, they observed that the pedestal width is proportional to uh, beta poloidal at the pedestal top. And uh, this fits uh, pretty well for uh, D3D and uh, actually also for CMOD works pretty well. Hmm. But then when you try to apply it to other tokamaks, uh, like for example, this upgrade or also JET, uh, this uh, doesn't really reproduce well the, the experimental data ah,
0: okay so this is the main uh, part uh, the main element let's say and right so because there was already some kind of let's say empirical fitting involved even in the eped model then it kind of gives uh what do you say uh, accept more acceptance for redoing the empirical fit but for Aztecs, right
1: yeah exactly because uh for example uh, um they have a proportionality coefficient uh, between the pedestal width and the beta-polloidal, um, which uh, basically is never fixed. And uh, for example, it's uh, very different between uh, um, D3D and uh, ASDEX or JET. And so mm. you don't have a general model that does it. Uh, they also um, developed further IPED to calculate these uh, coefficient by looking at some kbm stability so hmm. related to turbulence but um yeah also this one doesn't uh, really seem to be um
0: very accurate especially for jet right and, and that kind of brings another question right because if you're if you have to let's just say we go with this um attempt at doing empirical based uh modeling then wouldn't you have to retune your model for every machine? It seems to be the case, right? Yeah, and, exactly. And that makes it even harder if you want to take these models and predict, let's say, Eater or or Demo or something, right? Um, so what can you say about that? Is there is there some way we can leverage the knowledge we have to make something a bit more generalizable?
1: Yeah, so... Um... What I developed during my PhD is an approach similar to IPED. So again, it's uh, using another empirical um, uh, law that seems to describe well the pedestals for different machines. And uh, so far, it seems like it works uh, pretty well uh, for ASDEX, uh, JET uh, and Mm CMOD. But of course, there is no warranty that it also works for Ether and demo because, uh, I don't know, you might end up in a different uh, plasma parameter where uh, um, some other kind of transport physics uh, uh, is regulating the pedestal. Hmm. And uh, But now, luckily, uh, there has been a lot of effort with the uh, gyrokinetic simulations in the pedestal. And um, there are currently also some new PhD students working uh, here in IPP, or uh, uh, there is a group uh, in um, Austin, uh, which is really uh, doing a lot of study on that. And it seems like they are finally starting to get uh, something uh, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, they observe uh, that uh, the instabilities that they get from these gyrokinetic codes uh, seems to be consistent with the experimental observation. Okay. Uh, Yeah. And uh, they are also trying to um, derive uh, some uh, uh, quasi linear model for describing the pedestal transport out of these uh, gyrokinetic nonlinear simulations. But uh, yeah, this is still very preliminary, I would say. And uh, yeah, it's uh, if you would have to do a um, gyrokinetic nonlinear simulation to describe the pedestal for a future reactor, mm. but also in the same time uh, simulating the core and maybe also the, uh, the scrape of layer, uh, just the computational time you need is uh, the computational resources you need are just too much uh, at the moment to really have a tool that is validated on many different tokamaks and can also be reliably used for predictions Mm. but uh, yeah i think we are moving in the right direction so hopefully in the near future we will see starting to come up uh, some
0: more uh, reliable models yeah i mean that's very interesting i didn't know about these developments i knew they were running gyrokinetic models on pedestal conditions, but I didn't realize they they got somewhere promising mm-hmm. with it. So that's really cool. And I mean, even once we have a better idea what's the theory behind it, the underlying instability mechanisms like the turbulent instabilities, um, then you can always, I guess, develop a reduced model or some kind of surrogate to to speed up the calculation. But if if we don't know, where it's coming from uh, it's probably harder to make a generalizable model uh, in my opinion but uh, okay but that's very cool and I guess the question now that you bring it up with the whole turbulence thing is that if you can predict the transport well I mean there's still the other half which is the MHD instability right? right so do you I mean even if you get the the transport characteristics right it doesn't mean that the mhd limit let's say is is what we think it is so yeah that's uh that's a good point so uh
1: it has always been believed that uh ideal mhd uh, linear ideal mhd would be sufficient to describe uh, the pedestal hmm. uh, like uh, it has been uh, found and observed uh, up to now for most of the experimental pedestals with the uh, Standard uh, edge modes, let's say, so with the because uh, you have different c- characterization of uh, the elms you can get uh, these edge localized modes, and uh, you can also have um, so you can have situations uh, of uh, where the your pedestal is actually limited by um, linear uh, MHD, mm. so which is uh, uh, described basically with the peeling-ballooning model. Mm -hmm. Uh, So basically, for uh, most of the pedestal, uh, you have that uh, the MHD limit is described by a combination of peeling and uh, ballooning modes, which are either current or uh, uh, pressure-driven. But uh, recently, it has been found, especially on uh, jet, where uh, you when you go to high resistivity, so with the low temperature in the edge of the plasma and uh, high density, uh, you actually trigger these uh, ELMs much before uh, than expected from um, this peeling-ballooning model, so um, which is described by ideal MHD code. Hmm. Uh, And the the ideal uh, assumption is that uh, you have uh, a resistivity equal to zero, But of course, when you start to have a very strong resistivity, you start to destabilize also some resistive MHD modes. Hmm. And uh, so it's important also to uh, describe uh, this physics, but uh, fortunately, um, there has been uh, some work now, which shows that uh, you can, uh, instead of running a linear ideal MHD code, you can uh, run a resistive MHD code like uh, CASTOR. Right and this actually seems to uh, then recover the experimental uh, observations for the pedestal and mm. uh, so this is also very promising okay and, uh, and the good news is that uh, these codes are still not so computationally expensive so get, they can still be run on a uh, yeah daily basis uh, for uh, an integrated framework right okay that
0: that's also interesting yeah by switching the MHD like the nature of the MHD modes that exist in the in this region, then you can get different pedestal behavior. Do you? I mean, this was just brought up recently, so I may be talking out of nowhere. Um, but there's also something about like having collisional uh, turbulence, uh, turbulent modes in that regime, which is kind of related to the resistivity, and some people are debating whether or not it's truly resistive MHD or collisional turbulence which is changing yeah, the right. crystal characteristics do you have anything to comment on that or is this you know too too specialized? Yeah, i think
1: uh, i think it's very specialized like uh, yeah. um there has been a lot of uh, research in uh, pedestal transport where it seems that uh, um like uh, yeah uh, collisionality or uh, eta so the ratio Mm -hmm. between the temperature and density gradient might uh, really change a lot the nature of the turbulent transport uh, in the pedestal right but uh, yeah i would say that uh, these uh, are a level of uh, sophistication uh, um, yeah which uh, become really important when you start maybe to uh, simulate uh, the transport with gyrokinetic codes um yeah so far uh, i i would say that uh this really doesn't uh change the uh how the pedestal is now modeled with the empirical transport model so like uh, with the eped or the integrated model that uh, uh that i developed um but yeah so and uh, together with this uh, um I mean, I think it's uh, an interesting point now also to maybe uh, say that uh, you don't have always uh, the um, uh, same uh, classic uh, view of the pedestal, let's say, because you can have uh, also different regimes uh, Mm. uh, where you want to mitigate uh, elms. And uh, so this opens uh, up uh, really a zoo of uh, different... uh, physics that uh, and instabilities that you can get in the pedestal because of course the elms um, are uh, these uh, sudden uh, very um, disruptive uh, uh, instabilities which uh, uh, make your pedestal collapse uh, really quickly and therefore drive a lot of uh, power into the diverter and uh, there, so also ready for it it was discussed that uh, if you have uh, type 1 elms so the largest uh, elms that you can have Mm-hmm. Um, you really cannot tolerate uh, in it so many of these uh, of these uh, instabilities because otherwise they would basically melt uh, your diverter. Okay, yeah. And so now they are uh, trying to develop some new scenarios where you either mitigate the elms or you completely suppress them. And this is by uh, basically driving additional uh, transport uh, in the pedestal. So let's say a bit uh, um, limiting the effect of this edge transport barrier. Mm -hmm. by having uh, some additional transport uh, which uh, it's not clear yet uh, uh, if it's more uh, um, just turbulent transport or uh, mhd driven transport can also be a mix or something in between right okay the idea is that this additional transport would uh, limit uh, the um, uh, rise of the gradients so, that you don't reach anymore uh, these uh, strong disruptive uh, MHD stability, these edge localized
0: modes, mm. which uh, would uh, cause a lot of damage to your diverter. Okay. So, it's sort of like putting a softer limit uh, away, which is like closer to uh, no gradient than the MHD limit. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that that's an interesting. So then this comes back down to the modeling um uh, question I have about the modeling, and this may be more an opinion. That's fair. Um, do you think it is important to actually model the whole pedestal dynamic behavior, as in like when it hits this MHD limit, you actually model the transient of the the collapse of the pedestal and the rebuilding. Um, Is is it important to get to that level? Because I also know currently most people treat like an ELM average pedestal. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: I think uh, you basically have uh, two different levels of uh, sophistication that you can go. Uh, Basically, the simplest one is uh, to describe the plasma as uh, like a a stationary phase. And uh, this is uh, good enough when you want to describe the uh, plasma confinement. Because actually the pedestal is staying for most of the time in this uh, saturated phase just before the, um, Elm crash. And uh, so yeah, I think uh, you just want to go to this uh, higher uh, degree of um, uh, complexity uh, to describe the uh, time evolution of the pedestal. So describe the recovery phase and the Elm crash phase. Uh, if you want to, for example. Uh, described really uh, self-consistently the evolution of the impurities, uh, um, so the flash-out of the impurities uh, to understand if you are getting uh, some um, impurity accumulation, which then can uh, lead to a radiative collapse
0: uh, or uh, things like this. Mm -hmm. If we want to keep this sort of time-dependent modeling capability in the integrated models, because there are also, as you mentioned earlier, scenarios where elms don't exist or they're very small uh and indeed that's kind of what we want because at ether they don't want these large type 1 elms which could damage the reactor so where do you see the modeling going in that perspective or do you think these scenarios can be developed realistically and how can the modeling help
1: yeah i think uh For sure, that's the ultimate goal to be able to arrive at that level of uh, sophistication and to be able to describe all the time dynamics. But uh, yeah, I think we are still very pretty far away because uh, to do this, uh, also with these different uh, regimes, you would need to be able to include the physics of this additional transport which uh, is mitigating uh, uh, the elms. Um, So yeah, first uh, you would need to uh be able to describe the reduction of the turbulent transport in the pedestal mm-hmm. and then on top uh also put the physics to describe this uh additional transport uh uh which is maybe um some coupling of uh, turbulence and m h d activities uh so yeah, I think this is then computationally be very challenging right but uh yeah, I really hope
0: uh, we will get to that, okay, yeah. And I think that uh, how do you, I guess in your opinion, how do you see this, you know uh, this going forward, right? Um, including pedestal predictions inside integrated modeling do you do you think that it's uh, going to be more theory focused, theory driven? Um, do you think that's the right way to do things or is is as you've done? in your project like a a semi-empirical approach more pragmatic
1: so yeah i think uh, these uh, two approaches uh, uh, complement each other uh, because uh, you can learn a lot from the experiment and uh, also you can learn a lot from the theory so i think it's important to have both and uh, yeah probably like also for core transport in the moment uh, um where the theory is good enough to reproduce the experiment and uh, lead up to a better prediction with different parameters than the empirical models. It's uh, where you really have the breakthrough and uh, you're able to make uh, really reliable predictions uh, which are theory-based and uh, can be trusted. Um, So yeah, I think it's uh, good uh, to use these empirical models uh, to really explore as much the possibilities of this kind of integrated modeling that you can do um also possibly with the combination of a scrape of layer so that you uh, end up also simulating at the same time uh, the scrape of layer, so solving the power exhaust with the pedestal stability and uh, i mean yeah the the pedestal uh, performance and the core performance all at the same time Mm -hmm. and um and on the other hand, uh, you have the theory application which uh, goes on to uh, give a higher fidelity description of the pedestal. And uh, so it's also interesting now to see these uh, um, global uh, core uh, uh, gerokinetic codes, which uh, give you a complete uh, simulation of the core using uh, uh, gerokinetic codes. And this is really fascinating. And uh, so, yeah, I hope uh, in the end we will uh, come with the gigantic code, which uh, <laughs> will be able to simulate uh, the whole plasma.
0: Yeah, so that, that's that's very that's super interesting. I agree with you completely. And also, uh, you know, I guess currently in talk up like full plasma modeling, the pedestal region is kind of that missing key, right? Because a lot of people do scrape off layer modeling using a, a different grid, a different code, and different physics uh, in it. And then core modeling, which is, you know, these two don't typically talk to each other because that region, which is the pedestal, is kind of un- unknown. Uh, so we do need something there. Otherwise, these two will never be able to connect to each other. Um, and I, so I agree with you there that hopefully more developments go in this way, um, but maybe now we can speak a bit more about your experience in, you know, trying to develop a model for the pedestals. Uh, what, in your opinion, were the largest questions or biggest difficulties in in developing the model? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so uh, I have to say, for my project here in, in APP, for my PhD, I was really uh, lucky that uh, uh, when I arrived, uh, in the end, all the pieces that uh, were needed were there. And uh, mm-hmm. just to be, uh, yeah, pick them up and uh, assemble them together and try maybe to come up with a clever way to uh, combine them uh, all together so to get a, um, uh, yeah, a uh, prediction which was uh, uh, self consistent with all the different parts. Um, yeah, because uh, you don't, on, you don't, you not only you need to connect all the different regions uh, with each other, but uh, also for every region. So, for example, uh, for the pedestal, um, you need to describe, uh, uh, for example, the electron uh, heat transport, the ionic transport, uh, the particle diffusivity. And um, yeah, I was lucky enough uh, to come up with some assumption that in the end uh, seemed to work uh, really reliably, hmm. uh, which is also encouraging because maybe it tells you that uh, uh, in the end uh, uh, things are complicated, but uh, not so much so that uh, you can describe them with uh, um, some uh, yeah reduced uh, approximation, let's say. Right. But yeah, when you do this, you you also realize that you need some. Uh, so first, you had some boundary condition at the core, and then you simulate the pedestal, and then you realize that you need some boundary condition also at the pedestal, because <laughs> they can also change a lot of the, the outcome of uh, your predictions. Right. The Yeah, and so also there, like uh, you realize that uh, you need a, a reliable enough uh, description of the script of layer. And um, so what I did so far for the script of layer was uh, to Include uh, an analytical model, um, which uh, basically had uh, inside the some uh, um, some scaling factor, uh, which were describing the connection between uh, some engineering parameters uh, to uh, the conditions of the separatrix. But of course, uh, uh, you can do it. Uh, I mean. It was uh, working well for uh, ASDEX upgrade, but of course, when you go to a different device, uh, you have uh, different diverter geometries, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of things change from one machine to the other. So you cannot hope uh, to get something uh, so simple that is so general for different machines. Right. And then uh, you need to move to uh, more sophisticated codes, like maybe um, ps uh, or uh, some something in the middle between uh, uh Uh, a very complicated escape of layer code uh, and uh, um, an analytical uh, model Mm -hmm. and uh, but still uh, then again the boundary condition moves somewhere else because then (laughs) you need to uh, put uh, for example the profiles uh, uh, of uh, the uh, temperature and density at the target Mm -hmm. um, and yeah so the the nice thing of this uh, is that uh we this is also a design parameter let's say because uh you know what is the maximum uh power uh load that you uh, that your diverter can tolerate, so this constrains you with uh, for example a temperature and density profile at the target mm-hmm. and then you can say okay given this uh, reconstruct the whole plasma uh, upward um where you only give engineering parameters so maybe the heating power uh, the fueling rate uh, the geometry of the plasma and um and yeah you can uh, get uh, a description of the core the pedestal and the script of layer uh but yeah also then uh once you build a machinery of this type, it becomes a very strongly nonlinear system. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, to validate it on many different machines uh, and uh, make sure that everything is behaving as expected, uh, yeah, becomes really complicated. And when you want to study some phenomena, then you really have a lot of things to look at. Uh, so, yeah, like I think uh, already to, uh, up to the development I did for Asdex upgrade was still at a manageable level. Mm-hmm. And then when you really want to build something like this, for which works, which is validated on many different devices, I think there you really need to put a lot of effort and a lot of people working on that because uh, otherwise it's really a lot of work for one person.
0: Yeah, the system becomes so complicated that you, you can't know all the pieces um, yeah exactly one person you... can't know all the yeah pieces. yeah so much yeah.
1: physics uh, to to take into account
0: yeah no but I agree with you I think that's the whole point of the modeling is that it eventually moves further and for the boundary condition gets further and further outwards from the machine until it becomes basically the same knobs that the operator has control over right exactly and- yes and, but of course, yeah, I also imagine at some level things become more machine dependent than physics dependent, right? Like the location mm-hmm. of your gas valves or the geometry of your diverter or the materials you use for your walls or something like this, right? And, and so it would be interesting to know if there's some abstraction of those machine-dependent choices that we can mm-hmm. put in the model so that we, we don't need to, like, it becomes another knob for the the operators ah, yeah, to yeah. control, right? Yeah.
1: yeah, absolutely. Especially when you go to the scrape of layer description, then mm. uh, you really start to uh, be sensitive to the machine parameters, so exactly the wall material, the diverter configuration. Um, yeah, like uh, the space that you have between the plasma and the wall, uh, the pumps, the where the valves are located, uh, mm. and uh, and all uh, all these features. So yes, as long as you are uh, simulating uh, the confined plasma and your boundary condition is the separatrix, you are still relatively uh, decoupled from the uh, the machine uh, design, let's say. Right, but yeah, but then yeah, when you really go to the scrape-off layer physics, you are really uh, getting uh, doing a bit this transition also between physics and engineering, where uh, these elements become really important.
0: Yeah, well, actually, that's an interesting point because it was going to be my next question. Is that it seems from what you described so far, one of the complicated parts of pedestal modeling is the boundary condition, which is the scrape-off layer and okay dealing with figuring out what those boundary condition values are is its own a separate problem completely but then my question is to you is that do you in your studies have you found that the pedestal physics itself is machine dependent like is there some interplay with you know locations of gas valves or um material wall materials or the gap between separatrix and the wall do these factors influence the pedestal physics like the, the actual stability of the pedestal in ah, what you yeah, said yeah
1: yeah absolutely like uh, mm-hmm. for example uh, in uh, already uh, the empirical model that uh, I developed um, for the pedestal transport uh, maybe doesn't work uh, already doesn't work uh, uh, between a jet carbon and jet like wall Hmm. So for sure already there is already a clear indication that uh, just the material of the machine uh, uh, is changing something uh, dramatically. Right. Or for example, also um, on JET was uh, also observed that when you, uh, with different diverter configuration, so depending on uh, where the strike point uh, is located. So uh, yeah, because you have different uh, configurations where the strike point is hitting a vertical or a horizontal plate. And then uh, the strike point is farther away or closer to the cryopumps. And then already this changes a lot, uh, The for example, the separatrix density that you get for a given uh, fueling rate. Hmm. And uh, so yeah, exactly. This is uh, already a, <laughs> an important uh, parameter. Right. Or, uh, also, if you go from uh, a lower single null to an upper single null plasma, and uh, on uh, the lower diverter, you have a nice closed diverter with a cryo pump, or on the upper diverter, it's uh, open and with no cryo pumps, you really see that it's making a huge change. Mm. And uh, yeah, and the pedestal uh, sees all of this because uh, you change the separatrix conditions, you change. Uh, the flux of neutrals uh, that uh, enter into the pedestal and so they change uh, the ratio between the pedestal top and separatrix density and uh, all these elements have a strong impact on the mhd stability Mm -hmm. and uh, so yeah by changing these uh uh, conditions of the scrape of layer let's say and the separatrix you change a lot the
0: pressure that you get at the pedestal and so also the confinement Right. So I think that seems to me that it adds an extra layer, which is the the neutrals, right? Um, It's not just the turbulent transport and the MHD that you need to account for. There's also the flux of neutrals coming in from the scrape off layer. And then on top of that, maybe the impurities, as you mentioned with the carbon wall and ether-like wall has an impact as well so then you have to include yep. impurity transport <laughs> so yeah, I see. Yeah, it's exactly. starting to <laughs> starting to become very complicated yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah
1: exactly yeah, yeah and uh yeah to also like uh this is also then pushing the boundaries of uh, what you can do with the scrape of layer uh models because maybe you have uh, yeah um you have a seeding of impurities to make more radiation. You have maybe a X point radiator, mm-hmm. which is also not uh, poloidally symmetric, so it's really localized, maybe close to the X point. And um, yeah, then you have to translate this information uh, from the slip of layer, so from the scrape of layer code to a uh, transport code for the core, which is by nature. Uh, um, polloidally symmetric so right. like, i mean you have uh, uh, the profiles that are uh, 1d you don't have 2d profiles right. so you lose a bit of this information and you have to come up with the strategies to couple these things together hmm. and um, yeah and of course also you need a good description of the neutrals and uh, yeah so <laughs> it really starts to become really complicated
0: yeah yeah it's true and like the more the more i sit down and think about how all the different components inside an integrated modeling which is you know work i do as well it it becomes a question to myself that is these like we can do reduced models but is a collection of reduced models equivalent to just doing like the full as you said this full gyrokinetic 3d you know uh, model which captures the whole plasma right yeah right which one is the better yeah. way to go forward i honestly have no no idea yeah itself.
1: okay let's start again okay
0: okay yeah so i
1: think uh, it's a uh, really a point uh, a threshold in complexity basically maybe when uh, up to a point where uh, you're um, the what you want to describe is not so complex and uh, you don't have so much uh, interactions between uh, all the different components. Probably uh, a coupling of uh, reduced models and the uh, uh, simple models is uh, still fine. But then, uh, uh, yeah, when you want to go really to a very general description, uh, which can uh, describe as well uh, different devices uh, and uh, include uh, all the possible physics, uh, then uh, for sure you really need to go to more high fidelity and uh, higher detailed models. I think, uh, yeah,
0: that's uh, that's maybe at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting point because yeah, for if we stick with these reduced models, perhaps they're sufficient to give us the answers we need for you know designing the scenarios or designing. Reactors, uh, given the computed computational power and the physics that we know um, and have, but perhaps yeah, moving if we can accelerate these like holistic models, where it's just like one set of equations for the whole plasma kind of deal. Um, if we can accelerate them to the point where those become feasible, yeah, I, I agree with you. That's probably the way um, modeling should be going in the future. Or at least, yeah, we hope we can get there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Especially, I think, uh, depends a bit also. Given uh, your computational uh, capabilities, uh, you rely on the combination of models uh, that uh, you can use. So, uh, of course, if uh, you don't have the computational resources to run uh, uh, something very complex and very heavy computationally, then uh, uh, you might just uh, try to see what uh, how far you can get with uh, some more simpli- uh, simplified and um, reduced
0: models. Right. So I agree with you completely. And on that note, I think we're going to call it time for now. Uh, I would like to ask you maybe a final question. For people or students who want to get involved in this, you know, very interesting field of plasma modeling, especially now we're breaking, you know, new ground with pedestal physics coupled with scrape-off layer and like you know full tokamak plasma modeling. Um, do you have some advice for them how to get involved, what to look into?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I think really this is a moment uh, where uh, uh, I see integrated modeling becoming uh, more and more important, especially with the creation of new devices, Uh, for example, uh, in Italy, DTT or Spark uh, in the US uh, or uh, Ether, of course, and JT60. And uh, now for the research uh, plans, uh, um, differently from uh, uh, how it was before, we are really at the stage where we can uh, uh, I, where I see that there is much more contribution uh, from integrated model uh, uh, from integrated modelers uh, to these uh, project plans, uh, to really tailor uh, um, and understand better uh, um, what can be achieved by the research of a certain machine. So for sure, uh, there's going to be uh, more and more uh, position and uh, uh, for this kind of uh, work, and uh, also more uh, request and uh, so yeah i think uh, one can uh, just uh, try to switch more into these uh, topics so um if somebody is already doing uh, some kind of modeling for uh, one of these uh, uh specific parts so um uh for sure one can uh, find the uh, uh, teams where um, um They are trying to combine uh, different uh, elements together. And uh, all these teams uh, working on the development of integrated models are always eager to find uh, uh, new codes uh, which can uh, add uh, uh, some more physics, or they can uh, run faster, or they are uh, more reliable. And uh, so I think uh, just getting in touch uh, uh, with the the integrated modeling community there's naturally going to be an interest uh, to exchange information and uh, cooperation in that.
0: Yeah, so I think that, that's, a good, that's a good advice to have. I know myself being involved in the integrated modeling community would love to hear from anybody and everybody who has an interesting model to put in and we can work on Absolutely. integrating <laughs> it and seeing what's happening. So, good point. And same for <laughs> me, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Very good point. Okay, and with that, I'd like to thank you again, Teobaldo, for joining this episode of Coffee Breakdown. We had yeah, thanks a lot, Alan. Yeah, yeah and it was a uh, really
1: stimulating uh, discussion.
0: Yes, exactly. And I think that uh, a long time coming as well, since uh, we're both working in the same field and there's, there's lots of interesting stuff to talk about. Um, and uh, also, thanks for having the patience with these technical difficulties. I think people viewing this on YouTube will see the camera chopping a bit. So thanks for sticking in with it.
1: Yeah, no problem.
0: Yeah. And uh, for everyone out there listening, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we hope you learned something interesting and maybe important for your careers through this conversation. And if anybody's interested in integrated modeling, yeah, both of us are open to contact. So, Absolutely.